Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. We have a bonus episode for you this week. We are speaking with the founder of Infinity Pools, one of the founders, uh, Machu. And it's great to have you on, Machu. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks awesome. For yeah, you guys have uh, you guys have been talking the town of all of crypto Twitter over the past couple of days. So super excited to have you on uh, and kind of peel back uh, what Infinity Pools can really do for the perps landscape. And so that's probably a great place to start. Is you know, when you look out into into DeFi and centralized uh, exchanges as well, like what does the perps landscape look like to you? Uh, and then maybe if you could like end that conversation with, you know, what did you think could be optimized and how did that lead you to building infinity pools? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I also want to give a little bit of like context, you know, which is that um, infinity pools was actually built by the same team that built Lemma, uh, Lemma Finance, um, you know, about a year, year or so ago, we were the first uh, protocol to like um, build out like a stable coin backed by uh, perps and like, you know, like a perp shirt position um, or what they call, you know, delta neutral like perp position. So, you know, um, <clears throat> initially we were very, very bullish on on perps in general. Um, you know, I, I coming into the space, um, I had an entire thesis about uh, derivatives blowing up in crypto um, and really kind of doing the same ratio of like volume that they do um, in traditional finance or, or, or CFI, right? So if you look at sexes today, spot is, you know, a tenth of the volume um, that, that that goes on. Uh, derivatives and specifically perps are uh, at least an order of magnitude uh, bigger in, in, in size. Um, and you know, so that, that that was kind of my thesis going in that derivatives would come in and, and essentially do the same thing. Um, and perps would just grow to be like this massive, uh, you know, 10x bigger opportunity than, you know, whatever, like Uniswap, one inch, et cetera, et cetera, did. And um, obviously that, that thesis like today, like kind of like came alive, but it's, I want to say like it's probably not as much as I expected. And, you know, the, the growth didn't, was not what expected um, and was a, a little disappointing. And I, I, I think really like the main reason behind that um, and, you know, like the reason that I've kind of calibrated my thesis going forward is that Uniswap was not popular and was, didn't, you know, like get all of, this attention because it was spot trading on chain. They solved a real UX problem, right? Which was that they offered um, access to uh, spot trading for the long tail of assets and they listed those assets 10x faster, right? So it had nothing to do with, um, you know, like, oh, like it's on chain and transparent. Like those are, are all fantastic things, but in the end, the reason that it got so popular was because they offered a 10x improvement um, on uh, two fronts, which was speed of listing and uh, number of assets over its CFI competitors. Now, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I kind of expected the same thing to happen with perps, right? Where like an innovation would, you know, um, allow for perps on the long tail of assets, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, when you're dealing with oracles um, and specifically oracles um, on the long tail of assets, um, you're you're going to get wrecked. Um, I mean, just oracle, oracle manipulation on the long tail of assets is 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 a surefire way to essentially wreck everyone involved, like both traders and LPs. And perps essentially do rely on uh, on oracles, which means that you know. Um, Long tail, uh, long tail assets are never going to have perps, um, and it's 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 quite. It was also quite a sad realization for us too, right? Because once again, we were built on top of, um, and we, you know, um, we yeah, we we really believed in perps at the time, but we we didn't see that 10x innovation essentially. That um, we didn't see any improve like any 10x improvements over what we saw in CFI. What we saw was, you know, just a copying and pasting of perps uh, that lived in CFI on chain, and um, 
and yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, that, that, that was, uh, um, it, it just offered a worse experience than I don't know why, like, you know, professional serious traders would, would, you know, have like a worse experience with no 10 X improvements. Um, so yeah, so that's basically why, um, about six, six, seven months ago, we really started researching, um, you know, um, what we could do, uh, to mitigate this problem and essentially, uh, what we ended up finding out was that infinity pools was not only, you know, a 10 X improvement in the same way that Uniswap was with perps, right? So like, not only could we offer leverage on the long tail of assets, offer that leverage 10 X faster than any other exchange could, but we could actually offer also 10 X, uh, larger leverage than any other CFI exchange we could offer no liquidations, which, uh, you know, resulted in 10 X, like better expected returns for traders and no counterparty risk, which, you know, after the past year, <laughs> I'm sure a lot more people appreciate. Um, so yeah, the, so that's kind of like, um, the, the story about how infinity pools came to be. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've got an entire, like, you know, feel about like perps and like, why, um, you know, they, they have like, uh, uh, uh some, some shortcomings themselves, but I, I want to pause and see, like, if you guys like have any questions, uh, before I, before I continue on my rant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can keep on going. I think this is, this is exactly like what we want to hear. So keep, keep on telling the story. Oh, huh, that's great. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, um, that, that was my main qualm, I think with perps, uh, in, in DeFi, but, then I had an entire, you know, other set of qualms with like perps in general as a financial instrument, not only in DeFi, but also in traditional finance. And, you know, in, in the end, like perps operate in the same way that margin trading like works in traditional finance. Right. And they're really bound by the same restriction. Essentially, all of the problems that perps margin trading and traditional finance, et cetera, et cetera, all of their constraints, all of their shortcomings, all can be traced down to a single thing, which is liquidation risk. What I mean by that is that, and, and like, you know, the, the problems that I'm talking about is, um, are, um, number one, uh, limited leverage, right? So you only have like up to like whatever, like a hundred X in crypto, but you know, whatever, like much, much like lower levels and traditional finance, um, you have, um, not that many assets, right? Just like the long tail of assets, once again, is not, not possible to, to be brought on, on perps. And then you've got obviously, um, uh, some counterparty risk, right. Via like the forced settlement of markets. Right. So this is when somebody like, uh, you know, somebody's like position doesn't get liquidated fast enough. And all of a sudden, um, the markets, uh, the market that, that it was in starts to accumulate enough bad debt that the insurance fund of the underlying decks can't cover it. And, uh, the, the market essentially has to be paused. Traders that were on the profitable side of the trade don't get paid out. Um, and it actually happens a lot more like often than you would think. So, um, you know, um, anyways, so all of these problems, they, they actually not only exist, um, in, in, in crypto and specifically C5, but they actually also exist in traditional finance with margin trading, right? Because margin trading still has liquidations, right? Like the way the margin trading works is that you borrow cash, you take that cash to essentially buy an asset. And then, um, you know, in, in case your position goes under, you still need to essentially liquidate that asset, but the usage of liquidity for uh, uh, spot uh, uh, trading is, is is very competitive, and so being able to liquidate very large spot positions immediately and before there is like a, a, a big price move is uh, expensive, and it's uh, um, you know like not a surefire way to like actually get things done well. Um, so basically there are all these problems once again can all be traced back to a single thing which is liquidations um and so we started thinking about okay well like how do we get rid of liquidations and turns out there is a fantastic thing that already exists in DeFi, 
which is um, liquidity provisioning, right? What liquidity provisioning is at, at a super high level is that you have people, um, uh, uh, liquidity providers that are willing to um, uh, suffer inf- impermanent loss, right? Um, uh, or IL, as I'll start <laughs> calling it uh, uh, going forward. Um, and, and what that IL is, right, is that they're willing to accept the worst of two assets, right? And, you know, you simplify that a little further and it, it actually becomes um, essentially uh, uh, a great way to liquidate assets without liquidating them. And I'll get a, a little bit more into like why that is, but um, maybe I want to start with um, a very concrete example of like how the protocol works. And then I, I, I can get into like more like high level ways to like think about it. So, um, you know, the, the, the classic example that I like to give people about how infinity pools works is um, in a simple ETH USDC pool, right? So, um, and by the way, like this kind of assumes that you have like some basic knowledge of how liquidity provisioning in uh, Uniswap v3 uh, works. So uh, I'll just <laughs> leave that to the listener to, uh, <laughs> to uh, read up on before, before I, I, I continue. Um, but um, so once again, you have a ETH USDC pool, market price of Ethereum is a thousand USDC. And let's say that you have um, a tick at the $900 range, right? So like uh, uh, the liquidity provider comes in and provides liquidity at the $900, uh, uh, 900 USDC range. And all of that liquidity is deployed on a single tick and is worth a thousand USDC, right? So like the, the, the liquidity provider takes thousand USDC of their own assets and deploys, deploys them at uh, $900. Um, in return, they get an LP token. Now, let's say that a trader comes in and borrows that LP token. What they can do is that they can redeem that LP token for the reserves backing it, right? Which is the thousand USDC. And essentially uh, take that thousand USDC that's backing it and swap those reserves for one Ethereum. Because once again, the market price of Ethereum at that point is a thousand dollars. Now, the interesting thing here, by the way, is that um, the trader can use any DEX, any aggregator to actually swap that thousand USDC that they borrowed for the one Ethereum. Uh, and uh, it's just kind of like a cool property that I'll, that I'll talk about more. But essentially, like because this is an atomic transaction, you you can you can you can use any aggregator um, uh, or you know something like Uniswap. Um, so now the trader has uh, one uh, Ethereum on their balance sheet, right? And you have two scenarios: price goes up, price goes down. Um, so the price goes up scenario is a lot easier to digest. It's let's say the price goes up to 1.5k uh, per Ethereum. Trader can take their uh, one Ethereum and sell it for 1,500 USDC. Now, with those 1,500 USDC, the trader can take $500 in profit and then use the remaining 1,000 USDC to mint back their the LP token at the $900 range, right? At the $900 tick and essentially make the uh, liquidity provider whole, right? So they pay back their debt um, plus interest, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's the, all, all that is well as well uh, scenario. Obviously things get a lot more interesting when uh, the trader loses money. So let's say that the trader um, uh, let's say that the price of Ethereum falls to $900. Um, so right above the liquidity range, hasn't quite crossed it yet. The liquidity provider is still expecting back a thousand USDC, right? Because the liquidity range has not been crossed. So what happens at that point is um, that the, the trader uh, can only sell their Ethereum for their one Ethereum for $900. So they're in the hole for $100. So let's call that the max loss at $900. Um, now, the interesting thing and like the entire, um, you know, co- concept, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but that that really allows 
um, you know, uh, to like cap the losses and offer the unlimited leverage is that below $900, once the liquidity threshold, uh, once the liquidity range of the uh, 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 underlying LP is crossed, the liquidity provider is no longer expecting back a thousand USDC. They're expecting back 1.1 Ethereum, right? So a uh, thousand USDC times uh, or uh, uh, over 900. Um, now, um, because the liquidity provider is expecting back 1.1 Ethereum below $900, and the trader already has um, one, one Ethereum on their balance sheet, all they need is to have uh, an extra 0.1 Ethereum uh, below $900, right? But that 0.1 Ethereum below $900 is always going to be less worth less than 100 USDC. So that means that no matter what, the max losses are always going to be capped at 100 USDC or less. So if the max losses are capped at 100 USDC and you can essentially deposit 100 USDC as collateral to borrow um, this uh, LP token, which is worth $1,000, then that means you have 10x leverage. But if you were to borrow an LP token at the 999 uh, uh, liquidity range, at the 999 uh, you know, USDC tick, then the max losses would no longer be $100, but they would be $1. And that means that with one US dollar, you can borrow up to 1,000 US dollars, which is... Uh, thousand X leverage. <laughs> and obviously the closer and closer you get to the market price and the closer you can borrow uh, uh, an LP token to the market price, the more leverage it enables. Wow. Okay. That's super exciting. And there's a ton to unpack there. So uh, first thing that comes to mind is like one of the last things you said is the maximum amount of leverage then capped at the UniV3 ticks, tick range. That's correct. Yes. So okay. practically speaking, in our V1, uh, Infinity Pools is only going to be able to offer about a thousand to two thousand x leverage, which honestly should be enough to satisfy most people. But you know, <laughs> well, come on, that's it. I'm kidding. Yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, eventually, like it'll grow to like higher than that uh, if there is truly desire for it. But uh, yes, um, awesome. So. And so, like. Now, I guess what I'm thinking is, all right, so let's say the trade moves against the trader, right? And so the price of uh, the price is falling when it crosses over the uh, like that $900 range, let's say, then does the trader's position automatically get closed out or are they just like, you know, essentially out of the money, but still holding on to the collateral? Yeah. So the latter. Um, and uh, that's that's a great way to put it, you know, like definitely uh, uh, there there is like an entire options like parallel that that can be you know, that, that we can like uh, use, but um, to, to stay kind of like more DeFi specific, yes, um, essentially the trader can keep their position open no matter where the price goes, as long as they keep paying the interest on the LP token that they have borrowed. Um, so, you know, when, when they stop paying that interest, it's not a liquidation, it's more like not rolling an options position to use, you know, uh, the, the, the term you just did. So would the fees, the funding fees, be taken out of the trader's collateral like automatically as as the the fees accrue? Yeah, correct. So a big, you know, like really like the way that um, uh, leverage, right? Like leverage is is not only um, a factor of uh, the money that uh, leverage is not only a factor of um, the uh, minimum uh, then uh, it's not only a factor of the max loss, it's also a factor of the interest, right? So you've got to add essentially um, the um, max loss and the interest that you pay to actually um, figure out what the leverage is, right? So for example, if your um, max loss, once again, for 1000X leverage is $1, but then you have to pay another dollar upfront um, in interest, then your leverage is actually 500x. It's not a thousand x, 
So uh, basically to us, yes, um, um, it is, it is very much uh, intertwined. And by the way, that's, that's uh, what like, you know, like Aave flash loans, I believe are right. Like a lot of people think that they're unlimited. Um, you know, you can borrow as much as you want, but I believe that it's about a uh, thousand, thousand X leverage uh, because you, you still have a 0.09% or like, you know, nine bips like interest payment. Right. Okay. And so I guess further on that point, then how are interest rates or funding rates determined within the infinity pool system? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's a great question. Um, our interest rate, the protocol's interest rate, is made up of two parts. Um, the first part is what we call a fair interest rate. The fair interest rate, you can think of it as uh, an interest rate that's there to offset impermanent loss. And what I mean by that is that it is um, a, a, a yield that um, liquidity providers um, or like really like any uh, financial uh, investor uh, would expect to get to get paid in order for being exposed to the negative convexity of impermanent loss, right? So it's it's basically just a, a yield that um, theoretically offsets impermanent loss. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, hopefully perfectly over the long term. Um, the second part of the interest rate is a utilization rate. So uh, you can think of it as like a Aave or compound type utilization rate. It responds to supply and demand, right? So if the demand for 1000x leverage is extremely high, then uh, the LP tokens that are uh, near the market price will actually be a lot more expensive to borrow for example, than the LP tokens that are further away from the market price, right? So there's a fantastic uh, mechanism there to really kind of uh, get more uh, liquidity providers to come in and provide liquidity when uh, demand for leverage is high. And um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll stop there for, for a second. I think, yeah, no, that's, that's great. I think from my perspective, it'd be helpful because you already laid out an example, like going levered long. Can you kind of lay out an example as well, you know, the other direction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the exact opposite, right? So to go levered long, what you're doing is that you're borrowing USDC and uh, swapping it for uh, an asset, uh, in this case, Ethereum, right? So in order to go short, you would do the exact opposite, which is borrow Ethereum and sell it for USDC. So the way that you're going to do that is that you're going to borrow an LP token that is above the market price and therefore uh, that uh, an LP token that is deployed at a tick um, uh, above the market price and uh, redeem it for the Ethereum that backs it and then sell that Ethereum for USDC. So uh, pretty much the exact exact same example, like uh, the, the opposite way. And actually, like one question that I always get is, um, what about liquidity fragmentation? Is this a peer-to-peer -peer protocol, right? Because in the example that I gave you, um, it's it's a liquidity provider that lends directly to a lender, uh, to, a, a, to a trader. Um, it, the protocol um, actually does the mixing and matching by itself, which um, is actually a super, super cool mechanism. Essentially what happens is that, um, number one, you can actually combine different ticks um, at different um, um, uh, ranges to get to the leverage you want. So in the example that I gave you, um, you know, you have a tick at $900 that's used for 10x leverage. But 10x leverage can actually be uh, created with ticks at other uh, price ranges. Uh, for example, you can combine liquidity that's deployed at the 850 USDC tick and at the 950 USDC tick so, you know, above and below to essentially get to that 900 um, uh, USDC to basically recreate like a liquidity at uh, 900 USDC. So essentially what the protocol does is that, uh, you know, when the liquidity provider uh, deposits um, uh, their token, they, uh, uh, the protocol um, essentially does mixing and matching uh, off chain to like see um, what is, you know, like the best combination of liquidity to create um, the leverage that is being asked for by the trader, right? So the trader goes, hey, I want 10x leverage. The protocol is going to look, okay, what ticks are available? 
um, what are the interest rates for each individual tick, right? And then um, combine those ticks to create the cheapest leverage for the trader. And that way it's a peer to pool to peer um, Aave or compound style again. And um, you know, there's zero liquidity fragmentation. Now that's okay. That's an interesting mechanism because I was thinking about the supply side of this, right? Like it's a two-sided protocol with traders and LPs and on the supply side, uh, like, are you aiming to attract liquidity that will say, Hey, I'm just coming to like, I want to be in infinity pools LP, but you know, whatever they do with my liquidity after that is fine. Or is this something who's like attracting uh, LPs that are already Uni V3 LPs that are like, hey, like I can. This is a way that I can earn additional yield on something I'm already doing. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question, and I I think it's going to be a combination of both, right? Just because number one, really, like at a high level, what you're doing here is 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 almost lending out your uh, Uni V3 LP tokens, which means that you know you're not only generating additional yield, but you're also um, you know getting paid on a continuous basis. Um, and that second second thing is actually very, very important. And I think we'll bring a whole new set of liquidity providers um, or actually it'll bring a whole new set of investors and yield farmers to uh, the liquidity provisioning uh, ecosystem, if you will. <laughs> so um, what, what do I mean by that, right? Currently, the only way that you can generate yield on Uniswap V3 and like pretty much any AMM is by essentially getting your liquidity in the price range, right? So um, you need to have the market, uh, um, uh, essentially the market price really be uh, within your liquidity range. The big difference with infinity pools is that even when your liquidity range is not um, even near the market price, you're still generating yield. Right. So in the example that I gave you, uh, once again, uh, where the liquidity is deployed at nine hundred dollars um, and the market price is at a thousand dollars. Right. So the, the market price is nowhere near the liquidity range. The liquidity range is still getting borrowed by a trader, which means that that liquidity is being used. And if it's being used, then it's being paid for. And um, yeah, basically what that means is that no matter where your liquidity is, you're still getting paid uh, some yield. And that actually comes with some really, really cool implications. Um, one of which is that, uh, you know, uh, so far, most investors had to rebalance, you know, as often as possible to be as near uh, to the spot price and to the market price as possible. But here you could very well see a strategy working where uh, 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 an investor wants to keep um, all of their assets um, or all of their portfolio in a single asset, right? And uh, and basically what they would do is that they would have, um, uh, they would lend out um, their token. Um, uh, they would, you know, provide liquidity um, away from the market price. And essentially as the market price gets closer and closer to their liquidity range, they would move it away. That way, they can continuously generate yield while staying in a single asset, and that completely flips, you know, like liquidity provisioning incentives on their head. And um, it's it's pretty cool because you know it's it's also fantastic for passive investors. Um, you know, I, I think that like one of the things that we've seen specifically with UniV Free is that um, you know uh, passive investors are getting more and more run over. Um, and, and by the way, this is not just Uni V3. I'm, I'm using Uni V3 because they're they're very clearly the the leaders uh, in the space. But you know we, what we've seen is that more and more you have all sorts of attacks um, that are essentially taking profits from these uh, passive investors, um, and that it's becoming more and more of a high frequency MEV type 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 game. You know where you have um, you know JIT. I, I, I believe JIT is a very is is a good thing uh, um, in the end for Uniswap as a whole because it's it's essentially just like a janky RFQ system, right? Where like somebody like places a places an order, and then you know um, essentially like some liquidity provider will come in at the very last minute and fill that order uh, with like no slippage. That's fantastic, you know. Like why wouldn't you do that? That's 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 great. Um, 
but who it's not great for is obviously the pass the the passive liquidity providers, right? Who are essentially like getting uh, exposed to impermanent loss, but not making any of the fees. So, I guess like my point was that uh, Infinity Pools is 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 good for passive investors for three different reasons. Um, the first one that I mentioned, right, is um, higher yields. Um, so, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but um, essentially. Uh, there are some, you know, if, if, if Uniswap like yields are below realized volatility currently, um, and then you've got, um, you know, realized volatility and then implied volatility, which is above, uh, realized volatility. And, uh, usually, you know, like, uh, volatility is sold at implied vol, uh, or implied volatility levels. Then, um, we, we believe that infinity pools will at least be above, uh, realized volatility. It's, it's not 100% mathematically guaranteed, but there are some very, very cool volatility arbitrage. Well, there is actually a super simple volatility arbitrage trade that you can do to make sure that all Ps are always at least compensated realized vol, which means that um, at a high level, um, liquidity providers are not losing money, <laughs> which is you know better than uh, the, the current status quo. Um, so that's that's the first like good thing, right? And, and then once again, like the volatility arbitrage gets you to realize vol, but then with the utilization rate and with like any extra trades, then like you should get to implied vol if not above. Uh, but once again, can't make any claims on that until we actually launch. Um, so so that's the, that's the first point, right? Like higher yields. The second the second point is continuous yield, right? Which means that once again, you can stay in a single asset. You can have <clears throat> your liquidity range that's uh, not not even near or in like the market price. Once again, great for passive investors. And the last thing is that because um, uh, trades um, are uh, you know done because you're paid your yield on a continuous basis and not in a single big chunk uh, like you are in like spot trading markets. Um, we are uh, just-in-time liquidity resistant, right? Um, or liquidity providers are just-in-time liquidity resistant, right? Because it's it's spread out over time. You can't just like come in for one block and like claim a uh, majority of the profits. Yeah, I guess I'll stop, stop here for now and <laughs> see if there are any questions. Yeah, this has been great. And I think one of the most interesting parts of this equation is like really on the supply side because if you think about just like the ETH USDC pool today for example like uh, in the in a UNIV3 pool liquidity is not perfectly spread across that right it's condensed around the current market price and as well as like it favors like going long in this equation uh, so does like the imbalance between the long and short position create any issues for infinity pools or is that uh, like I'm curious how you guys think about that Okay, so basically you're talking about the basis, right? So like, oh, um, are are there, or I, I guess a simpler way, like um, because there are more people trying to go long, there might be less liquidity on the long side of things. Is is that kind of like what you're what you're asking about? Um, even like I guess like okay, so we thought about who is LPing in like certain tick ranges across the ETH USDC pool. Uh, like that, it is it tends to be condensed towards uh, like around the market price, and then specifically uh, like above or above. I think it'd be above the market price, right? So, um, like, how does that impact infinity pools? Or do you uh, think like I guess like but a different way to rephrase that question would be really like. I guess how does a how does a tick range for LPs in infinity pools like really impact um, how the ability of le traders to take specific like uh, to take different leverage positions long right so I'm just curious like so, so the example I guess what I'm trying to get is it the example you gave where so, an LP can come in and like constantly keep their liquidity tick out of range and just keep moving it away from the market price how does that benefit infinity pools. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so once again, right, like what you got to like separate out is the borrowing and then the swapping part of things, right? So infinity pools and like, you know, like where most of our liquidity is going to be useful is on the borrowing side of things, right? So like, once again, margin trading is, 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 uh, is two things. It's you borrow cash, right? To go long, you borrow cash and then you swap that cash for an asset. And that's how you go long, right? Infinity pools once again separates the, those two things, right? 
the, the liquidity uh, in infinity pools is used for borrowing. And that means that like, it doesn't matter um, how far, uh, uh, it doesn't matter how close it is um, to, to the spot, spot, mar uh, spot um, market price. Like, it does matter because like, it, it matters a little bit because um, obviously like, you know, the closer it is to, to, to the market price, the more leverage it enables, but um, it matters less, right? Um, and then you've got, you know, um, the, the swapping part, right? Which is like, once you've borrowed the cash, you need to swap that. And once again, you can swap um, the borrowed assets using any decks, right? Not just infinity pools, um, which means that um, it doesn't really matter um, if, you know, we don't have like any liquidity um, to like near spot, but like if, if we do have liquidity near the market price, that's actually even better for us because um, liquidity near the market price allows for, you know, whatever, like a thousand X leverage. But if that liquidity allows for a thousand X leverage, that means that it can, it, it allows for all liquidity levels below it, right? So thousand X leverage LP token allows for uh, 10x leverage too. It allows for 100x, and so um, you know, as long as you know we have liquidity around like the spot price, the spot market price, that's actually like fantastic. So um, essentially, it's it's kind of like a like all scenario win win, um, you know, type type of thing. Yeah, I thought it was interesting too how you kind of pointed out how you will kind of match different uh, LP tokens at different ranges in order to get the desired leverage. So it sounds like you're definitely going for like the the retail user or like you know the average user, I should say. Um, so do you see this being more so a protocol that that is like kind of like a Uniswap, like where it's like the go to place to to trade with leverage, or do you view it more as like maybe something that protocols can utilize uh, underneath the hood? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would definitely say the former, right? Um, I think that this this protocol is isn't that good for everyone, um, not not just like and especially retail. Um, um, the the reason being, once again, that um, number one, like perpetual perpetual future, and like retail has like a high tendency to like be the ones that get wrecked on liquidations on perpetual futures. Um, especially as they get to like higher levels of leverage. And um, I, I don't know if you guys saw like the chart that I had in the, the Medium article we posted, but um, the expected returns with infinity pools as you crank up your leverage actually don't go down. Um, so number one, you know, we're, we're kind of like protecting retail on uh, their expected returns and, um, you know, uh, from liquidations. Uh, number two, uh, um, you know, with like the no counterparty risk, then... Uh, we're also kind of like provide like protecting them from like black swan black like you know long tail events. Um, it, it, essentially, I, I do think that like this is a net good not only for like you know like retail and like uh, but also like the entire like finance industry. Um, and I, I really hope it does become kind of like the go to place uh, for for like people to go go and get leverage. Um, as for the liquidity provisioning side of things. We're still trying to like figure out exactly who's going to be like the biggest, um, you know, um, provider of liquidity there. One interesting use case um, that I'm actually very, very excited about, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure that we should be the ones building it just because you know we're we're, we're uh, we need to stay focused. But um, one of the really really cool things you can do is that you can essentially build uh, LP uh, liquidity provisioning payoffs. Uh, and um, essentially, these LP payoffs can take any shape, uh, depending on like where you put your liquidity. And what that means is that you can essentially create liquidity positions um, such that they resemble more uh, uh, common structured products. So for example, you can create a covered call using a liquidity position on infinity pools. Um, now, um, that may seem like, okay, well, like, you know, we already have access to covered calls, so what's the point? Well, there are three huge perks to like creating um, um, structured products on uh, the liquidity provisioning side of unit pool, uh, uh, infinity pools versus, you know, vanilla structured products. Um, uh, number one, um, it's available on the long tail of assets. So once again, you kind of have that Uniswap playbook, you know, where like 
you can not only list structured products on the long tail of assets, but also do it like way faster than anyone else. Uh, number two, um, these structured products um, last as long as you want, right? There's no need to roll over any positions, which means that um, you, uh, uh, number one, don't need to pay a, a fee to market makers, um, you know, uh, uh, and specifically this, this fee is usually called a spread, right? So you don't need to call uh, to pay a spread to market makers to roll over uh, your, your structured products every week. Um, Number three, um, you can withdraw at any time, which is actually something that like, you know, people kind of like tend to uh, underestimate, um, you know, when, when they're first putting in their money into structured products, right? Um, uh, some innovative structured products in DeFi uh, like Ribbon have like found like, you know, some like cool um, uh, ways around that, like having only deploying 80 or 90%, I think of their assets and structured products so that like, you know, like 10%, of the, those assets just kind of like remain idle in case somebody wants to like uh, withdraw before the end of the period is over. But then like, you know, you're, you're taking a hit on the, the efficiency of, of, of the yields. So um, yeah, just kind of like free huge perks already like over, um, over, uh, over traditional structure products. And uh, you know, not only that, but like it's incredibly flexible. It's incredibly, permissionless, which means that you can create any structured products uh, instantly and permissionlessly. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see, you know, people build on top of infinity pools and come up with like cool, uh, innovative solutions to this. Yeah, I mean, the, the proposition there is super exciting. And what's interesting is it's like, you know, putting layers on top of right, because you guys are building on top of uni v3. Um, and I'm curious if it's like, it, you know, like the Trader Joe liquidity book is quite similar uh, to to the Uni V3 model. And I'm curious if infinity pools can be composable with other concentrated liquidity type AMMs or if it's specifically focused on Uni V3. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're, we're once again, like the, the way that we see it is that like the borrowing part um, and then the, um, the, there are two parts, right? Like the swapping part, um, you know, we can use anyone. So that's, that's already um, good to go. So like really like the, the main thing that we have to worry about is the borrowing. Right. And yeah, I mean, right now um, we, we'd have to see, but um, as long as people are willing to take, you know, like uh, the, the the same payoff as uni v free LPs, um, it, it, it should work with us. I'm curious if you have any takes on like order books, like if, if that becomes a more prominent venue for for trading, like into the future as L2s kind of develop, like does that put a hole in your model or is there a way you could kind of adapt to that sort of thing? Honestly, yeah, we could definitely be deployed on top of an order book. Um, uh, once again, we, we'd uh, it, it'd be interesting, right? Because once again, like Uni V Free is just like a, a, a big order book. If if you were like you know, if you think about it, like there there'd be like a couple different things that we'd have to do slightly differently. Um, but and and like obviously, it would be a lot of like technical work. Um, but uh, overall, yeah, I mean, Unity Free and Order Books are are basically the same. So I, I don't really see like any massive blockers. Yeah, I guess I'll let you launch first before I start asking those questions. Uh, I'm also curious, where are you thinking about deploying? That's that's a great question. We haven't like um, so our code built in Solidity. Um, we're EVM compatible, so it's going to be on an EVM. Uh, we haven't like made any financial uh, final decisions yet but we are definitely leaning towards L2s um, as, as, it, as it currently stands. And is that mostly because of the impact that gas fees can have on the profitability of these things? Or like, um, just because, granted that, you know, Ethereum mainnet has such a large TVO and specifically looking at UniV3, there's about two and a half billion dollars on mainnet. Uh, I think Arbitrum's coming up second there with around 110 or so million. Yeah, big time. You know, um, I, I, well, not, not, okay. Basically, um, our protocol is pretty tough to build. Um, uh, one of the reasons that, you know, we released our white paper so early on is because we think that like, even if people like read it, you know, they're not going to be able to like um, essentially just kind of like copy us um, just because they're, they're, they're like quite honestly, just like a few like very, very complex things in there. And like even things that like we haven't like even put in there that, uh, um, but um, it's, it's essentially um, the, the short answer is, um, yes, it is because of gas costs. 
Um, but um, it's mostly because we don't want to focus on optimizing um, gas costs initially. We essentially want to ship an MVP fast, um, prove out the concept, um, you know, and then take care of gas optimizations and later ship on if you're a mainnet. So um, if you're a mainnet, it's completely doable um, because we don't have oracles and we don't have counterparty risk, right? If you had oracles, then you'd be fucked because, you know, like block times take forever. But in our case, um, you know, we're, we're chilling. So it's, it's really just a, a question of gas costs. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. Just granted out, you know, it's kind of like playing the long game there. And uh, if your view is that the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap is the way, then, you know, it kind of makes sense to really focus uh, your building into that model. Um, so mm-hmm. it does sound like an incredibly attractive protocol, uh, which begs the question of how is the protocol looking to kind of generate revenue? Um, or is it, you know, maybe it's running on a more of a public good model or how are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question and something that like we've actually been discussing internally a lot. Um, one, one of the very nice things about this protocol is that it's so close to the money on so many different fronts, right? There are so many different um, opportunities um, slash, um, you know, like, yeah, opportunities or like, um, it's a better word. Uh, yeah, there are so many different places to like take off like a fee. Um, so, you know, like one of them is obviously like when you swap out your assets using a DEX aggregator, you could take a fee there. When you borrow assets, we could, you know, charge a small interest rate on top of that. Um, there's also like some other, like much, much more technical, like beyond things um, that, that um, I, I won't get into, but there's like essentially like another thing where like no one is actually like really like losing, like basically there's like surplus in the protocol sometimes and we can just take that surplus. Um, I, I, I really look up to Uniswap um, in, in, in that sense. And I want to see like, also like, you know, what, what they've, they kind of like decide to do with like, you know, their V4. I, I know that, you know, they've, they've also like been like thinking about like different ways of like um, monetizing their protocol. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see. Uh, <laughs> basically like we, we've got, we've got a couple options. Um, and yeah, we, we just really need to figure out like which one is, is the best, not only from a regulatory perspective, but also, um, you know, from a, uh, doing our users, um, like good, um, like perspective. Yeah. Have you thought much about governance? I know it's very early on, but I'm curious if, uh, decentralizing is of utmost importance to you, or if that's kind of something you'd like to push down the line until you get everything operating correctly. Yeah. Um, once again, uh, great, great question. Um, governance, first of all, I'll start off by saying that uh, completely decentralizing governance is a terrible idea. I'm extremely bearish on that. Um, I believe that the best models uh, for DAOs going forward are going to be very centralized, but um, kind of like democratically elected. Um, you know, so um, for example, like the way that like democracies are run, right? Where, you know, it's, it's still like very decentralized. I run votes for like, you know, uh, a, a given person, but in the end, you do need that concentration of, uh, of power and of responsibility into, um, you know, um, a few people. And the reason I say this is because, um, if you knew, you know, like, um, some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes at infinity pools, you'd be like, well, okay, 99.999% of people are not going to understand how this works. So why should they, you know, like actually like come in and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I think this is the right decision. It doesn't really make sense. Um, now for, for big decisions that like, you know, are much more easy to grasp, but then like, yeah, we, we, we can talk about it. But in the end, what you really need is a focused team that's, uh, that's, that's you know, uh, that's got the protocol's best interests at heart. Um, and, and yeah, so basically either run it like, you know, like big public companies are run today um, or run it like um, uh, the the governments are run today is 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 my best guess uh, for uh, how effective governance is going to be done um, in the future. The proven governance models, <laughs> you know, there, there's a reason that like <laughs> not everyone is 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 making decisions from their phone <laughs> on the public policy in America <laughs> or like in Europe. <laughs> yeah, it took us thousand years to get to where we are here in the U.S. So <laughs> maybe take a a lesson or two from that playbook. I feel that. 
it's it's like the the Darwinism of 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 governance, you know, where it's like, okay, well, like there's a reason that evolution <laughs> has you know made humans, and there's a reason that like governance is the way it is today. Um, so I don't know, hot take maybe, but um, I feel like people that have, um, I, I went to a talk recently with like another like like prominent DeFi founder, and I, I think he agreed with me. So. Uh, maybe it's not as a hot take, uh, as hot of a take as I thought, but, um, yeah. yeah, well, this was awesome. We really appreciate your time. This is like really refreshing to get a project that's building like a completely new, like foundational concept. So we'll have to get you back on here in like four to six months to, to get an update on where you guys are at. But is there anything else you want to share with the listeners, where to find you, where to learn more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we've got, um, our discord that's open. Our Twitter DMs are open. Um, I'm pretty responsive on both those, usually. Um, these past past two days have been a little more difficult just because, you know, I've gotten hundreds of DMs. But um, going forward, I, I'll try to, like, improve my SLA. Um, our white paper is, is, is incredibly interesting and a, a fantastic read. Highly recommend everyone um, to check it out. And, yeah, I mean, we're coming out with a testnet, uh, hopefully late Feb, uh, early March. So, you know, when that's out, uh, definitely uh, check us out, test this out, um, see, see, see how it works. Oh, and yeah, I can, by the way, the UX is going to be super, super, super nice. Um, you know, we've, we've got like one of the best front end teams in, in, in the entire space. Um, they, they actually built Matcha before this, um, the DEX aggregator, which I, I personally thought what had like one of the best UIs. Um, and yeah, basically it'll look exactly like trading perps. So all of that like complex stuff that I talked about completely completely abstracted away. Um, it's it's a fantastic UI UX and uh, yeah, big big shout out to them. You said a ton to be bullish about, but honestly, like that might be the the biggest reason on it uh, to be just to be straightforward. Like crypto is so hard to use these days, and you know it's like cool for the people like us that are in here doing it every day. But the reality is, if you're going to scale. Uh, we need to simplify things. So, like, strong focus on US is UX is exciting, uh, and glad to hear that you've uh, managed to bring in some some gigabrains around you to help build out kind of every inch of the protocol. Uh, but Matthew, this was this was incredible. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks. We'll we'll definitely be watching along. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.